Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What you have to ask yourself in that moment is, it's not how you would do it, but is it wrong? And very often, it's not how I would do it. I would never have done that. However, it's not wrong and it worked and so it's okay. The other thing that's really important, and I I believe this in my bones, You have to be okay with failure. You have to be okay with your own personal failure, and you have to be okay with the failure of your team. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. I'm your host, Tyler Martin. Our guest today is Lorraine Ball. Lorraine is a marketing strategist and podcast host. After spending many years in corporate America, she started her own business and she ultimately sold it. She now works as a digital strategist for companies who want to use internet marketing tools to grow. Even though the online world is ever evolving, Lorraine believes that the foundation of good marketing still works to this day. As you'll hear for yourself in this episode, she has a lot of useful business and marketing tips to share. In this episode, we talk about how to build a business that can run without you, what to consider before selling your business, the power of user-generated content and how it can help you increase your engagement, and finally, why there is no one-size-fits-all approach to digital marketing. Lorraine is a great guest, and she has a lot of creative ideas and practical tips, all backed by decades of real-world experience. I know you're going to like this episode. Let's hear from Lorraine. Hey, Lorraine, how are you doing today? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I think this is going to be fun. Oh, I know it's going to be fun. I've already uh, got a little flavor of what we're going to talk about, and you've got a lot of wisdom you're going to share, so I think this is going to be good. And I think that's a great starting point. Can you kind of give us your story? I know you once owned a company. You sold the company, I believe, is is the way it Mm -hmm. transpired, and now you're doing some other things. Maybe just can you walk us through a little bit of what got you here? So I... uh... I started, I kind of think of my life in phases. So I did my corporate phase. I worked my way up the corporate ladder and I discovered that I was probably a little too rebellious <laughs> and too willing to try things and not worry about how they worked out for corporate. And so I walked away from that, started my own company, grew it into an agency. We had at our height, there were 10 people. We, were, we started as a traditional agency. 
because 20 years ago when I started it, there was no Facebook. Yeah, yeah. There was no Twitter. There was no LinkedIn. So we did postcards and we did yellow page ads and, and we did very traditional marketing. And then as marketing changed, so did we. We became a digital agency. And after 19 years, I sold the business. But what I kept was the piece that was really kind of near and dear to me. I have always been a teacher, my, my early background before marketing was in training. And so I always used training as a lead generation tool for the business. I would do a webinar or a seminar on how to audit your website, put a bunch of business owners in the room and out came a customer. And when I sold the business, I said, you know, the training piece I can still do and I can refer the, the actual work elsewhere. And so that's really how the digital toolbox came around. And that's where I spend a lot of my time now is with developing content for online training, live sessions, in person, hopefully again someday. Yeah, someday. But in the meantime, a lot of online training and podcasting. Wow, good story. So I want to I want to spend a little time. Oftentimes business owners their dream is to sell someday. And unfortunately many don't ever make it mm-hmm. to the point of sale. So I'd love to just get some wisdom from you in terms of how do you prepare it for sale? Like do you do you consciously think about you're going to sell someday? If so, what does that look like? Can you kind of walk us through your experience in the sales process and getting there? Absolutely. I think the first thing that you have to start looking at if you're seriously thinking you want to sell someday is you have to build a business that can run without you. Yeah. Because if you are the glue that holds the business together and it doesn't exist without you, nobody is going to want to buy it. Right. And so I would suggest almost from day one, start building standard processes, standard procedures, even if you're a solopreneur and you're the only one doing it. Create those processes so that as you bring people on and as you get ready for sale, you've got those processes that operate without you. So that's the first thing. Right. And let me just steer you on one thing. Sorry for interrupting you. So I love what you just said. And one of the key things was there, do it from the beginning. Now, the truth Mm -hmm. is many businesses don't do it from the beginning and they find themselves five to seven years in, and they're stuck to their business. How do you deal with, like in your mind, and did you experience this? It's not always pretty that that process of delegating to people and getting yourself out of the business. How did you deal with that? Do you just stay the course? Is it that simple? Or do you have any thoughts and any even examples of where that happened to you? So what you have to get comfortable with, when I first started delegating, and this even goes back to my corporate days, I would delegate assignments. And then I would be like, well, well, that's not how I would do it. Right. And what you have to ask yourself in that moment is, it's not how you would do it, but is it wrong? Mm. And very often, it's not how I would do it. I, I would never have done that. However, it's not wrong. And, and it worked. And so it's okay. The other thing that's really important, and I, I, I believe this in my bones. You have to be okay with failure. You have to be okay with your own personal failure and you have to be okay with the failure of your team. And so in in all the years that I ran teams, 
my, when something went wrong, my first question is always, this is where we are. How do we fix it? We'll talk about how we got here later. If you as a business owner are spending all of your time, well, how did this happen? And why did you do that? You're never going to move past it. And what you're going to do is build a culture where people will be unwilling to try things. Some of the most interesting products of my agency came when I had somebody come to me saying, you know, I've got this idea that I think we could sell this. And I'd be like, all right, let's let's give it a shot. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And I had to figure out how much failure I was comfortable with. Okay, if it costs us this much, if it costs us this much, we're going to have a problem. So, you know, figure that out, but create that environment where people are like, okay, I tried, it didn't work, or I tried and and this was great and we should do it again. Yeah. You used one word and you explained another thing that just resonated with me so big. You said, you basically were saying, give people autonomy, let them find their way Mm -hmm. to getting a solution. It it may be a different approach than you would use, but that's what gives them their autonomy. That would give Mm -hmm. give them kind of their control. And then I just love how you just explained letting people make mistakes. I mean, and another word you use is culture, which is part of a a byproduct of those other things, ultimately, that you're allowing them to do. They're such key things. I do... I want to talk a little bit more about that. Do you think you developed, because these are all leadership skills in my mind mm-hmm. that you're, you're really good at, you're really focusing around people and their well-being and developing. Is that self-developed? Is that something you took from corporate? Is that something you refined in the small business world? I'm just curious. So early in my career, I ended up, I mean, I, I'm a marketing professional. That's that's what I do. Sure. But what I really developed a skill set around was going into dysfunctional teams mm-hmm. and fixing them and going into areas of the company that weren't working, where there was high turnover, where there was low productivity. And so when I left corporate, I had this list of things that I thought to myself, okay, this is where corporate screws up. This is where I was successful because I, I swam against the grain. I did, you know, and now that this is my own business, this is how I want to do it. So some of it, I think, is a little bit how I'm wired. A lot of it is just seeing how it plays out when you don't do it that way. But also, right from the beginning, I sat down and thought about what I wanted my business to be about, not what was the product. And it boiled down to uh, three phrases creativity, collaboration, and positive energy. I wanted my employees to feel that way. I wanted my customers to feel that way. And over the years, it was really interesting. I had different teams and every few years we would do this exercise where we kind of talked about the words that described us. And they would change a little bit. Some of our priorities shifted. But that culture of accountability, that culture of hospitality, was always part of who we were and mutual respect and just those things that we were like, this is important to us and our customers. And that's how you know you're really living it is our customers would say things to us and we'd be like, yeah, they get it. You know, somebody would say, 
I just love coming to visit you guys. I walk in the door, I help myself to a cup of coffee and I feel at home. And I'm like, yep, welcome to Rampage. <laughs> I love it. So, you know, I'm the master of tangents and getting people off focus. Mm -hmm. I started with the question about selling your business. I do still <laughs> want to talk about that. So I apologize. I've got one other that I'll take us off course too, but I'm going to hold that in the back mm -hmm. of the memory bank. So what does that look like? Does that, when you're going through that offer stage, for example, mm -hmm. is that really stressful? Is it the due diligence part? Is it because you set up the company? It was all a slam dunk. I'm just curious. How did, how did that play out? So the first thing was, this was not my first offer. Ah, okay. I had actually had an offer five years earlier. And so I'd done a lot of the negotiation and the due diligence. And I got to this moment and there were two deal breakers. One was they wanted me to stay on full-time for three years. And I thought to myself, if I'm selling the business, why do I want to stay on for three years? Right. But the other deal breaker, I decided I didn't like them. And I didn't <laughs> think my customers would. Yeah, and, and it yeah. wasn't until we were into this negotiation and, and it wasn't that they were horrible people. They just, I was like, no. So having that, having had that experience, several things, I worked with someone who was a, he's a CFO for hire. And he ran me through some exercises to figure out what the business was worth. Yeah. And that, I think that's really important to get somebody who's not attached to your business at all to run through the formulas. And, and it was just a worksheet that he took me through where we, you know, three years worth of sales, how much was I paying myself, that kind of thing. And it's not emotional because we are very emotional about our businesses. It is true. So when this second or third opportunity, whatever opportunity this was, when this opportunity came around, I knew what the business was worth. So when they made me an offer and it wasn't even close, I was like, no. And he's like, what do you mean? No. He's like, well, you know, I've done, I said, no, I, I said, you know what? I've done the, I've run the numbers and I've had an offer. So I know what the business is worth. So that, that part of it was good. The next piece was I had a really, really good lawyer who really understood me because I would send her, you know, their lawyer wrote the contract and I would send it to her. And she says, before I read it, tell me what you want. Don't tell me in legal. Tell me what you want, and I will write the legal to guarantee you get what you want. What a great approach. It really was. It really, really was. Because I never stressed about, you know, like dotting I's and periods. That was what she did. And also, knowing myself, I'm a big picture person. My husband is a detail person. So he'd spent 20 years in corporate reading contracts. I let him read the contract. Right. I looked at it. I, I mean, not to say I didn't, I didn't read it, but the truth was I had these two people who were really, really good at this and they had my back. That's awesome. That's awesome. But the other thing in that whole process was knowing what I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to sell the business. I wanted to keep the training. I wanted to keep the podcast. I was interested in doing a little bit of consulting for them. And I was interested in getting a commission on new business I sent them, but I didn't want any part of the day-to-day. -day. And when you're selling an agency, there are all sorts of variations and all sorts of different deals that you can build. So before you sell, step number one, get your processes, figure out what your business is really worth, and then really important, what do you want? That's just great advice. Because if you don't know that, you're going to end up taking something that 
later down the road, you're going to be like, well, damn, I, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. I love the advice too, or I shouldn't say advice, your decision-making in terms of not feeling like the buyer was the right fit. You know, I went through, I've been through two business sales and uh, definitely went through periods where, especially the larger one was the second one, mm-hmm. you know, we would bring parties in that were private equity and nothing against private equity, but they definitely have their own vision of what they're going to do in terms of return on their investment. And there were like times we'd sit in these meetings and I'd be like, there is no way they're going to treat the staff well. There's no way we're going to be able to keep continuity with the clientele. It's just, this is not a good fit. It's not best for everybody. And you know, you you got part of you is thinking about, you know, the money of selling. And then part of you is about what's best for the business because it's your baby. Mm-hmm. It's interesting dynamics. I, I love uh, a lot of wisdom there. You just shared. I do. I want to go in one other direction. Sure. You started out with stages of life uh, or stay phases that you go through and you went through the corporate thing and then you started your own business. For the folks out there that, you know, everybody seems to always want to start their business, but a lot of people are afraid to do it. And, and sadly, a lot of times people don't ever do it. Mm-hmm. Any regrets? I mean, did it was it great going from corporate? Did it take, was it took you years to do it? Or was it like, hey, I'm going for it and I'm off to the races? I had two customers and two sales before I left my corporate job. Good. That was wonderful. Yeah. I should have stayed in corporate six months longer and had a few more because after after those first two, there was a dry spell. Yeah. And particularly, I think if you're if you're a consultant selling more of a knowledge, not a, a product per se, your friends and your family will support you. They're going to give you an opportunity, but then that's going to dry up. And then you have to have that sales machine. And so there was that, that gap. About two years, yeah, was about two years in, an old friend of mine called me and he had just gotten promoted to running a division of a company. He's like, I have the perfect job for you. And I flew out to see him and we talked and about halfway through the conversation, he looked across the table from me and he said, you're not going to take this, are you? And I went, this is good. Let's go have a drink and I'll, I'll, I'll put you back on the plane. You can go home. Because at that moment, I knew that I, I wasn't knocking it out of the park yet. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was having fun. And I, I liked who I was every day. Yeah, I liked the impact I was having. And some of those early customers, it's like family. My business was like, was definitely like family. So some of the people I, who were my very, very first customers, I still see them around town because India isn't that big a city. And, you know, when I started working with Joel, he had three employees and they were working out of his basement and they are the largest web development firm in the city. Now they have their, they have their company name on the side of a, of a 10 story building. And he'll still see me and say, it was you, you, you put, you know, you put us on the path and oh, cool. that's more than anything else. That's, that's the thing that I would never have had in corporate and I would never have trade. I would never trade that. Yeah. That's very cool. That's, I'm glad I asked you that. You know, I had an interesting kind of a little bit different experience just to share with you. So I started my world in CPA firms and uh, mm-hmm. I got certified as a CPA many years ago, we're talking and uh, on path to become a partner. And mm-hmm. I have no history of uh, family. Uh, my family's always, you know, nine to five work mm-hmm. for someone. And I don't really know what bug hit me, but I decided one day I was going to start my own firm. And so I quit the job 
the big this partner potential job and started a firm and I immediately went and rented an office and I had no clients I had a white wall I was staring at I mean I, I always say this it gets old saying it but I don't I really do remember this vividly I sat at this little junky desk and I'm staring at a white wall with no clients no money coming mm-hmm. in and it was scary and you know mm-hmm. the good news is five years later I had 200 business clients but it was scary and there was a period there that you know, had I done it a little more strategically, I would have been a little more developed before I did it. But I may not have actually, if I didn't put a gun to my head and just do it, I may not have ever done it either. So absolutely. You know, I am. It's funny because I do think you should be prepared before you start a business. Sure. You should have a little extra money put aside. You should have some idea on what you're going to sell and how you're going to sell it. And then you just have to believe. Yeah. You know, some of it is you just have to believe and um, make a lot of friends. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's great <laughs> advice. Hey, so let's get into, let's switch gears now. I want to talk about the world of digital marketing. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say, use the term user generated content. And to me, I believe I know what that is, but since we're going to go down this path, could you define it? What does that mean? Why is it important? So, user generated content, the most common example are reviews. When somebody reviews a hotel, there is a level or a restaurant or an experience of any kind, there is an inherent trust by readers when they come into contact with that kind of content. They are not suspicious the way they would be if you described your own services or tooted your own horn. But that's only one type of user-generated content. There are surveys where you just ask a bunch of questions, contests where you can ask for information. And the idea in each of these different ways of generating user-generated content, if you want to grow your business, one of the best ways to grow your business is with other people's money, right? You get a loan, you get an investment, you use that to grow. Same thing with your digital marketing. If you use other people's content. Now, I'm not talking about scraping stuff off the internet, very bad form. But if you can get other people to talk about you, to talk with you, to share, you're going to have content that you would never have thought of yourself. You're going to have much more engagement. I'll give you a couple of examples. And I don't know if Jimmy Fallon still does it, but back in the day when Twitter was really big and people were really interacting, he would throw out a question on Twitter. And then he would read the answers during the show that night. Wow. And, you know, you you didn't need writers because he had this just massive amounts of just great content. There was a movie, this is one of my other favorite examples, The Fault in Our Stars. It's about a teenage girl who is dying of cancer. And the promotional video opens with a screen of what looks like a teenage girl's bulletin board. And there is no way that the 30-year-old male Hollywood production company would be able to do that. It just just wouldn't feel genuine. So they sent out a a post on social media to people who loved the book and said, send us photographs of what's on your wall. And then everybody shared it. And yes. And the stuff that they got was so real and so authentic. And that's that's really what user-generated content is. 
If you're a business owner feeling stuck in your business, overwhelmed, responsible for everything that happens, and working long hours, Tyler helps his clients develop processes, hire high-performing team members, and better understand their financial metrics and numbers to allow for a more predictable, less hands-on business. To schedule a free, no-pressure consultation, head to thinktyler.com and click the meeting button. Tyler would love to see if he can help you work on your business, not in your business. Schedule a consultation today at thinktyler.com. Think life, think success, think business. And the stuff that they got was so real and so authentic. And that's that's really what user-generated content is. So I kind of jumped ahead. Let's let me step back one step. Mm-hmm. We're getting into like talking about how people grow their business in the form of social media mm-hmm. content, converting their traffic. And what I think I'm hearing you say is as soon as you can get your audience or just the audience in general to create vibe content, interest uh, about your your company or yourself, you're kind of they're doing the heavy lifting for you and and it, and it has more impact in terms of authority. Is, is that kind of am I summarizing that in a very wordy way? <laughs> Absolutely. it's it's like getting an infusion of cash in your business, but this is an infusion of content. And you know it might be a contest that you run. We worked with an eye doctor and he was opening up a podiatry practice. And so we asked people to send us pictures of their kids wearing eyeglasses. And we gave away some really great prizes. So on the one hand, we got all of these wonderful photos. But then what we did was we had we opened it up and you could vote. Absolutely. Well, what mother did not send the link to a hundred of her family and friends, right? And so when they voted, they had to do two things: email address and zip code. Because a lot of grandmas live out of state. And that's okay. But we put them on a different list because they weren't going to become prospective customers. And we, I don't know, several thousand email addresses in the course of a couple of weeks. Wow. Well, that's a, such a creative idea mm-hmm. to make it their own too, their own way of doing it. So this is obviously something almost any business owner in particular with a retail presence could do. Is this something that's applicable to any business, would you say? You could probably find an angle that they could do that. I think so. I mean, I think obviously, you know, retail businesses, you you can do location kind of stuff. Yeah. But you can do questions, great examples or case studies and testimonials. You know, you can interview people. So if you have your accounting firm, yeah. talk to a bunch of your clients and ask them if you can write a case study about what you did for them and include quotes from them in this case study to make it more real, to make it more believable. And when you share that, they're going to share it. I've seen this done with just any number of businesses. You have to be a little more creative, but yeah. Where where should we be? Should we be in the world of SEO where we're trying to get organic search traffic? Should we be on social media making TikTok videos and Instagram and Reels and all that other stuff? Should we be in paid marketing and telling Google to send us traffic? I mean, where in your mind is it maybe we should be everywhere? I mean, what's your thoughts? I think that for the average small business, trying to be everywhere will absolutely destroy you. Okay. I, I mean, it just, it will bury you. I think that... This is hard because every business is different. And even even two companies in the same business, let's take two heating and air conditioning contractors, okay? One 
has been in business for 25 years. He's got a good email list. You know, he's got records of people who've done business with him for years. He can rely very heavily on his email reminder programs. He can rely on organic Facebook because he's got a community. Now you've got another guy who's about the same size, but he's a young upstart. He does not have that depth. And so he's going to have to be a little more creative to get out there. He's probably going to have to spend a little bit of money to build his community. And so it's social media is not a one-size-fits-all. Digital marketing is not a one-size-fits-all. I'm an email girl. I do think that in general, every business should have an email strategy, but it won't be the same for every business. Yeah. You know, one thing I'm fascinated by a lot of many of my clients who have been in business for many years and uh, a lot of their business comes organically through relationships Mm -hmm. they've had over the years. Some of them do use paid advertisement, but most of them, when they first come to me, have literally zero email marketing presence. And it blows my mind. Like I have a gentleman, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but he's got an illustrious 30-year career, him and his dad, a multi-million dollar business, uh, has never email marketed into their database, which just like blows my mind. He spends $30,000 a month in traffic, which is pays off. I mean, it makes sense, but there's so much you don't have to do low as heavy lifting. Fruit? Yeah, low-hanging fruit. You don't have to do as much heavy lifting to get some similar results, which uh, is interesting. Do you see that a lot? I don't see it as much as I used to, but I do okay. see that. But I'm going to say something that's going to bring the conversation back around to where we started. Sure. The guy who has an email list that goes back 30 years that he is actively working has a tangible asset yes. that has a value Yeah, good point. That the guy who never has didn't. I mean, one of the most attractive parts of my business when I went to sell was not just the customers that I was currently doing business with, but the fact that we had built 30 websites a year for more than a decade. And so we had relationships with 300 different companies that we occasionally did stuff for. We had people that we rebuilt their website three times over the the 10-year period. So that pool of former customers, people who love you, people who could come back and do business with you again, people who might be running a new business, that's an asset that has real value. Yeah, that's a great point. And I imagine if you're utilizing the customer list, the client list, and, and talking to them and having some demonstration of monetization, it even increased the value more. You know, if you have it and you're not using it, I imagine it's kind of like leaving your car dirty when you're trying to sell it. Mm-hmm. You're probably not getting as much peak value out of it. So that, that's a great point. So email marketing, I hear you saying that. Walk me through that. So what do you need to really have a good email? Milk? Is it a landing page to start with, an autoresponder? How, what does that look like to get, you know, if someone wanted to get it going and, and make it work? So the very first thing you need to do is you need to have a third-party email marketing tool, whether it's okay. MailChimp or Constant Contact or Active Campaign or whatever it is you want to use. I'm a Constant Contact girl. That's what I've used forever and ever. I like it, so we'll go with it. You need to build a permission-based list. You cannot just scrape people from the Chamber of Commerce just because you're a member of an organization does not mean you have permission to send them an email. And then you need to start with sending emails that are informative at first. Educational. 
educational. Don't okay, don't it. jump to sales right away. That's where your blog posts are incredibly valuable because you can link to an, a blog post. Then once, so, you know, then once people are getting used to hearing from you, now you've earned the right to maybe make an offer. And then depending on how much you really want to do with this, one of the other things, and this was something I found really valuable, was I had an auto response campaign that I sent after I sent a proposal. And it was a series of three emails. And in between, I would call the person, but it gave me an opportunity to touch them in between. And also I could see, were they opening the emails? Because that would tell me, are they interested? Do they, do they care? Because that's, that's a big part of it. And then, then I started getting into landing pages and making offers. But, but the first thing is just get that first email newsletter going and get, get into a habit. And once a month, one, you know, I mean, these days I send an email every week and that's what my community expects from me, but, but I'm a content machine, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's what I do. But for most businesses, once a month, get out there, send them an email, let them know what's going on. Maybe, maybe there are regulatory changes. Maybe there's new technology may and link your email to other things you're doing. If you do in a Facebook live, link from the email to the Facebook Live. If you're active on Instagram or TikTok or you know, whatever it is, put those links in there and let people know where else to find you. So kind of repurpose your content in a way. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I want to take this one step deeper. So in terms of getting results, you mentioned when people click on your link, you, you know you can see what they're doing. Can you explain that a little bit? Because some people may not know that if they're new to uh, email tools, they may not know that functionality exists. So you can't do this without Outlook. Okay, mm-hmm. that's why I say you have to have a third-party tool, whether it's again Constant Contact or Mailchimp. Every time I send out an email, I can see how many people opened it, and I can see who opened it. There's the data, the analytics is right there. I can see if they clicked on a link and which link they clicked on. And depending on the sophistication of the tool, I can even start putting them on sub lists. So everybody who clicked on the link for the the blogging class, but they didn't register. Well, now they're on a list and I'm going to send them a, hey, I don't know if you saw this or not, but we've got this blogging class. Well, I know they saw it. You know, or I might pick up the telephone. I used to do this a lot. If I had a, a narrower list, I might call everybody who clicked on the class and say, hey, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I'm running this class. I think it would be interesting to you. And a lot of times people will be like, oh, yeah, I was going to sign up, but really, I can do that right now. And so it allows you to kind of create that connection between your email and the real world. Yeah, what what a cool technique. Now, I imagine some people might not be totally comfortable calling their their people on their list, but I'll tell you that exponentially probably increased your results. A real human, potentially the owner, engaging, just nothing beats that. It you're gonna get a good, get some nose in there, but this is, uh, oftentimes you're gonna get people probably appreciative that um, you're connecting with them. Absolutely, you know, part of it is I don't mind picking up the telephone and talking to people. I'm. I'm a real extrovert, so it's fine for me. 
And so that's my happy place. I think that's one of the things that you have to figure out as a business owner is what's your preferred communication pattern and how does your customer feel about it? One of the things that I started seeing is as my customers started getting a little younger, text. They didn't want to talk to me. So I could just said, and, and my employees were the same way. They, they will, I would be like, well, did you call Mary? Well, I sent her a text. No, I asked, did you call her? You know, the, this device here, this is actually a phone and voices come out of it to which they would roll their eye and explain to me that I was a little old school. So some of this is knowing your customers, knowing your market, and understanding that different people are going to want to engage and interact in different ways. And your marketing has to be varied enough to reach each of those different personas or be okay that you're not going to reach that market. Yeah. So I got a couple more. I'm going to go in the fun zone here is what I'll call it. Okay. I've heard you talk about this and I just want to hear your thoughts. Why as business owners should we reconnect with our inner child? Like, why is that important? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that part of who we are uh, very often, and I have this whole 30 minute presentation on it, but that part of who we are is the creative. It's the brave. It's the part of us that is willing to try new things and ask questions. And, you know, there are a series of experiences that you have over your life that sort of tamper that down. You know, my you know, the first time you go into a meeting and you're all excited and people are talking about a problem, you're like, I've got a solution. And everybody looks at you and says, well, that's not how we do that here. And you're (laughs) like, oh, and you feel like that, you know, that little third grader and you're like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't talk anymore. And reconnecting, getting out and trying new things and being okay with failure. You know, kids learn to ride a bike. You know how they learn to ride a bike? They fall off a bike over (laughs) and over again. And somehow we get afraid of falling down. You know, and it's not just because you're afraid of breaking a bone. We just, as we get older, we, and so embracing the fact that you're going to fall down, trying things that sound weird or different, looking for new input. You know, little kids get out of bed every morning and they just explode out of bed because there's a whole day ahead of them. And you just, you know, plan something different. So you'll explode out of bed too. Yeah. Yeah. That's just so true. Everything you just said, as we get older, falling Mm -hmm. off the bike, we just don't want to be embarrassed or we don't want to take the risk of of that happening. It's it's a great way to say it. Hey, so one way I like to end the show is I'd love to know if you could give us a business or a life tip from from your past and things that you've learned along the way that we can apply to our lives. So the, the one that I think I uh, fall back on often is that um, people don't die from lack of marketing. And what I really mean by that is we ain't saving lives. <laughs> and so at the end of the day, no matter how urgent you think your business is, take a step back and recognize that it is, it is important, but it is not the most important thing. It's not the most important thing to you. It, it may not be the most important thing to your customers. And, and kind of keep that in perspective because it's a lot happier when you, when you can look at it and go, yeah, that, especially when things don't go the way you planned, remembering that, you know, it's, it's okay. That, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow, little Annie. 
<laughs> Love it. That's great. That's a great one. Hey, so I'll put this in our show notes. Mm-hmm. You've got a website. It's digitaltoolbox.club, digitaltoolbox.club. Mm-hmm. On there, there's a workbook that people can get for free. It's it's mm-hmm. intent workbook. Am I saying that right? Search, it's, it's search intent. It's part of the content-based SEO class. Okay. And it's really about figuring out what your customers are really looking for when they go to the internet. Very cool. Getting in their mind, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. So anywhere else, if people wanted to reach out to you, get to know you a little bit, would you have them go anywhere else? So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to chat. And it's just Lorraine Ball. And also my podcast, More Than A Few Words. And you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. And you have quite a few shows, don't you? Uh, Do you know how many show numbers you're up to? I just edited number 689. My gosh. Wow. That's impressive. we We are in year 13. I'm kind of an OG. Yeah. Congratulations. That That's not easy to do. That takes a lot of effort. I'm kind of proud that I think I'm on like a, a 22 uh, weekly streak of posting weekly because I had had a little lapse there. And uh, so I only could imagine 13 years. That, that takes a lot of work, a lot of effort. Of course, you get probably make a lot of relationships and people that you connect, which, which is the huge byproduct of doing this. That's really the fun part. And I actually... Um... I was uh, up in Boston and I had breakfast with somebody I met who was a podcast guest. And so when I can start traveling in Europe and in Australia again, I got a whole bunch of people I want to see. So cool. Okay, Lorraine. Well, hey, you have so much wisdom to share and I appreciate you coming on here and giving us your thoughts and, and experiences. I, hopefully in the future, I can have you on again. I would love that. Thank you so much, Tyler. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.